Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight analysis into everything you and we are talking about in the beautiful game. Irene McGarry and with me as always is Duncan Castles. Today we've got transfer news abound for you as well as information on the proposed takeover of Newcastle United. How do we solve a problem like David De Gea at Manchester United as well as centre-backs to Manchester City? And we'll be closing out with heroes and villains. We start, however, at Wolverhampton Wanderers where a certain striker, has last weekend for the second season in succession broken the record for any Wolves player playing in the top flight as Raul Jimenez scores and scores and scores. Duncan Castles has told us, of course, in the last two months that the player is very much wanted by several clubs um, and that Wolverhampton Wonders are open to offers. But Duncan... How much would they accept for a player who's been exceptional for them? And how much do you think we can expect them to sell him for? <laughs> Two very different things. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought but... I'd throw you a curved one to start with. <laughs> but the, the word from Wolverhampton Wanderers is that Raul Jimenez, well, they are as we've reported for some time, open to selling the player. Well, Raul Jimenez has been making noises that uh, he would like to test himself at a bigger club if the opportunity presents itself. This summer he's talked publicly about that. They, I think they feel that people have got the wrong idea and that that means he can be accessed at a cheap fee. Um, one part of evidence for this is that Juventus whose cash problems we have um, discussed in the podcast and their need to move players out before bringing players in um, is uh, prevalent in terms of their transfer policy. Want him and as they see him as a, as a potential major upgrade on Gonzalo Higuain, who was there trying to um, get off their wage bill at all costs. Um, and it, they've been suggesting that uh, the Italian end that a deal could be done for about 60 million euros total value with, with players moving from Juventus to Wolves in exchange. Wolves want to make it clear that that is impossible. They value the player at 100 million euros. That's their asking price. Um, they understand that COVID had changed the transfer market, but their argument is you have one of the top strikers in Europe here. There is interest from clubs like Juventus, there's interest from Manchester United, there has been inquiries from Manchester United um, dating back several months. Um, And other top clubs are looking at the player. Um, Therefore, if he is to leave, they expect a fee to um, represent his qualities and the the level of club that are interested in him. And um, they'll say, look how much Juventus paid to sign Gonzalo Higuain. Look how much they're paying Gonzalo Higuain. Um, if Raul Jimenez is going to be a replacement for him, then he must have a valuation at a similar level to the one Higuain um, had when Juventus signed him. They also say Jimenez is not a cheap player. Um, 
on their books. In fact, I think he would he would be the most expensive player of the of the many signings that Wolverhampton have brought in, and in, in this you know extremely impressive ascent to becoming a club who are at present on the fringes of um, the Champions League qualification uh, results are, are have closed the gap to Manchester United and where Manchester City's um, Champions League ban be to be upheld then fifth place is very much a viable um, target for Wolves this season um, but they paid three million as a loan fee to Benfica to initially secure Jimenez and then uh, the full release clause uh, agreed fee for um, Jimenez subsequent to that to make it a full transfer another 38 million euros so 41 million euros of transfer cost he is um, their best paid player he's on a substantial salary um, he is a very valuable asset they are a club who who have been prepared to hold on to assets such as um, Ruben Neves um, who are desired by other clubs until the the money is right for them. They have Adama Traore, who is um, garnering interest uh, throughout Europe. Their pre-COVID asking price for Traore was 150 million euros. Um, so again, that gives you an example of, of the way we'll see themselves. They're not short of cash. Um, they have long-term ambitions to establish themselves as a Champions League club. So they want to make it clear that they're not going to be an easy club to deal with. Um, you have to meet them with a lot of money if you want to take the best players from them. Well, Raul Jimenez has been a revelation, uh, Duncan, that's for sure, in terms of uh, the goals he scored and also the quality that he's shown. But £100 million is a lot of money. When you look at it in context, you have Timo Werner, albeit with a release clause, obviously, going to Chelsea for in the region of 60 million euros, um, having scored 26 goals in 32 games in the Bundesliga and more outside in terms of the Champions League. Uh, it seems to me that that would be a, let's just say, optimistic uh, fee that Wolves would be expecting post-COVID economics. Do we think that Jimenez could leave for less? Do we think it's more realistic that he would leave uh, for around 65 to 70 million euros? Should that be the price offered for the player? Well, the, the explicit um, advice to me was that 60 million euros doesn't even get near to what Wolves would be prepared to sell the player for. So we'll see. Um, obviously, they have a player who um, would like to move on. So that's not in their favour. Um, the degree to which he, he would like to move on is, is open to question. Where Wolves to get that Champions League qualification place, then it, it would obviously be easier um, to convince Jimenez to stay because you can say to him, look, you remain in the Premier League and now we, we give you Champions League football. Um, he is he's older than um, Timo Werner for sure, but what I think he's ably demonstrated in his time at Wolves in his time in the Premier League is that he is a a top class striker who can who will score you a lot of goals, who will create goals, who has a physical presence and um and a speed and uh and a, an ability to score in different ways. And there are not a great deal of those 
around anymore. If you want that type of striker, you don't have that many options. Um, strikers are always valuable commodities. Um, so you can see why they are, are saying, um, we don't expect us to, to sell you this player for cheap. Um, you've got to take us seriously in the market. We're not a club who have financial problems uh, as others certainly have in this COVID situation. So um, there's not big discounts to be had if you want to come and, and, and sign our players. And I believe he's on three years left on his contract. So it's, again, it's not like the anyone who looks to buy him and his can get an easy discount based on uh, the length of what he's got left on his contract at Molyneux. So it'll be very interesting to see what they achieve in terms of price if indeed the player does leave. One player who's certainly not leaving, although some people think he should be, is David De Gea. Um, let me just give you a couple of quotes from one former Manchester United captain. If I was in that dressing room, I'd be swinging punches at him. That's a routine save. He should be making that all day long. I'm just not having that. I'm sick to death of this goalkeeper. All quotes from Roy Keane about David De Gea. Now, we've seen in the last uh, two or three days uh, lots of speculation regarding Manchester United's young goalkeeper, who's currently on at Sheffield United, uh, Dean Henderson, who we here on the Transfer Window podcast told you uh, a month ago uh, was very sceptical about returning to Old Trafford for next season unless he was given assurances about game time because he believes himself to be a number one goalkeeper and also, he wants to make a challenge to Jordan Pickford for the goalkeeping spot for England for Euro 2020. that have been played, obviously, in 2021. Henderson uh, has been allowed to stay um, at Sheffield United for the remainder of the um, restarted season. Um, but any new loan deal has yet to be negotiated and agreed. Duncan, we know that De Gea signed a record contract um, with Manchester United in order to stay. We know that his agent, George Mendes, uh, made probably what was a sensational deal for the player and himself um, on the basis that no one else actually wanted to sign De Gea or wanted to pay him the wages. And yet, here we are again finding ourselves discussing his form his um what looks like lapses in concentration which have been uh punctuated throughout this particular season uh he's a player who appears to be short on concentration lacking in confidence a player who is costing his team points with Henderson playing so well at Sheffield United, a team who are actually challenging Manchester United for Champions League plays. Solskjaer, I think, has a, a choice and a big, big decision to make. Um, if I put it to you that it would be a challenge to his head coach career at Manchester United to say to the club, to Henderson, come back, you will be number one at Manchester United for next season and De Gea will simply have to fight for his place. Do you think Solskjaer has both the courage 
and the cojones to make that decision. It's a, it's a really interesting situation, this, because in principle, it, it, Manchester United should be in the strong position. They have the contracts of a goalkeeper who's regarded as the best in the world for a long period and whose form has declined. Um, but he is their player long term. They also have the contract of, of the, the young English goalkeeper who is um, flavour of the month, flavour of the year, who has demonstrated in two seasons at Sheffield United that um, he looks to have the potential to become a top English goalkeeper and, and is of interest to other top Premier League clubs. Um, therefore, that should all be in Manchester United's favour. Uh, if they were in any other position, it would be hugely in Manchester United's favour because you could have the two in the squad. You could um, manufacture a way that both of them started matches, that both were happy, um, and decide what you want to do with with each of them long term. Now, there are question marks, or maybe not question marks, but there, there, there's an uncertainty at Manchester United as to whether Dean Henderson is ready to become first-choice goalkeeper there. And I, and I think that is a fair um, question to ask because it's one thing playing for Sheffield United and doing really well. Um, it's another thing to be the starting goalkeeper for one of the biggest clubs in the world um, who are scrutinised in every match, who are expected... Um, to be competing at the top end. And when things go wrong for them, as they did for David De Gea at, uh, at Tottenham Hotspur the other night, there is a, a massive weight of pressure on that goalkeeper. And, and people ask the kind of questions we are asking here. And Roy Keane and others make the kind of statements that Roy Keane made at halftime during that game. Psychologically, it's a, it's a different process. It's a different job. And, and for all, Henderson looks like he has the credentials to do that. He certainly has no shortage of confidence. The information I have is he believes he is the, the best goalkeeper in Manchester United's books, and he's believed that for some time. For all of that, the, the proof will be actually testing it by him being first team goalkeeper. Then you have to consider the costs of, of implementing what you're suggesting, which is to say the only way we can convince Henderson to come back because he wants to be playing, is to offer him the, the first team shirt. That means you, you are causing serious friction with David De Gea, who is um, the best paid player on your, on your books. Um, he's also a player who will be very difficult to move on because of the degree of salary he is on um, and because of the difficulty of, of selling goalkeepers in, in any market. You need big clubs to have a vacancy in the goalkeeping position for a player like De Gea to have a, an out to go to. And you need those clubs to have free cash to spend on it. So you'd be talking about having De Gea in the background, knowing that the manager has said to Henderson, you're my first choice, um, laying down the mantle to De Gea to, to prove that he can uh, displace him. Um, that, that is a massive uh, assault on De Gea's confidence, on De Gea's belief in himself, on De Gea's status in the team. And that could backfire for any manager. So I, I, I have a, a degree of sympathy with Solskjaer here because, because this is not an easy problem to solve. I also wonder to what extent he is in control of, of being able to solve that problem. 
because of the amount of money that Manchester United have tied up in De Gea's contract. Um, and as we explained, the difficulty of them offloading De Gea. Um, he, by promoting Henderson and turning De Gea into the backup goalkeeper, that would cost um, Manchester United money down the line. It would not look good for Ed Woodward to who convinced the Glazers to sanction the huge contract that was given to De Gea. Um, it does not fit into the pattern of, of rebuild and the strategy that, that Manchester United have, have sold to the fans in the sense of De Gea being a cornerstone of it when the, the, the celebrations over retaining him, um, the marketing of him as the, as the top goalkeeper in the world. These things are, are, are harder to do in the, you know, in the reality of, of a club. So what seems like the best solution from a football perspective could easily backfire on them. And I don't, I'm not sure Solskjaer has the status within the club to be able to say, I have complete control who, over who I choose to be my starters in each position. I decide that um, De, De Gea is not performing well enough for me and I'm, I'm going to give the number one shirt to Dean Henderson and let's just ride with the consequences just as I, I'm not sure he has the the ability to say for example Scott McTominay will consistently be picked ahead of Paul Pogba in this midfield yes he did that in the first game but that's the, the return game and Pogba hasn't played for months and you have you know you can say well McTominay um, trained better during during the restart preparations, we've seen a lot of other clubs make unusual selections, the kind of selections you see at the start of the season or in pre-season, where you reward the players who've done well in the, in the training camp. So there's an excuse for it. But long term, does Solskjaer have the authority to say Pogba doesn't fit in? Um, I'm going to play a, a lesser name instead of him whether that happens down the line. But it's one of, the, one of the very tough calls that Manchester United are going to make, and it's an unusually tough call to make. And I think that the, the, the difficulty is exacerbated by De Gea's personality. Um, difficulty is exacerbated by De Gea not, it was not his first choice to remain at Manchester United. Whatever was said after the contract was signed, he was trying to get out of the club uh, he was looking for offers from elsewhere. We know he agreed to join Real Madrid several years ago. The plan had been to go back to Spain. So you can you can see why in the background there can be an unhappiness and a discontent at his part with what he's ended up having to do, regardless of the the uh, the financial benefits it's had for him. And Dean Henderson is not a malleable character. With uh, with other young English goalkeepers, you might be able to say, oh, I'll come to Manchester United. Second choice for Manchester United is a great status in itself. We see you as replacing De Gea down the line. Fight for your place. Show me how good you are. And, and I, I promise you, I'll, I'll give you that first team uh, jersey if you prove yourself to be good enough. That, from what is coming from Dean Henderson and the people around him, is not going to be the case. Um, there's also, I think, a parallel with what happened at Chelsea um, with Thibaut Courtois and Petr Cech. Um, and in that case, Jose Mourinho was allowed to bring back um, the younger goalkeeper who'd been on loan, who'd been excelling uh, in Spain, albeit at a higher level, um, playing for Atletico than Dean Henderson has been for Sheffield United, and say, come back, 
uh, don't push for a move for another club. Don't push for a permanent transfer to Atletico. If you come, I will make you first choice. And allowed to keep Petr Cech on the squad and had the benefit of having two great goalkeepers there, but there were different personalities. It was a different scenario. Cech was reaching the end of his career. Um, David De Gea should be at the peak of his career as a goalkeeper. And one way or another, Manchester United have to sort out the, the fact that he's not performing at his peak at the present and come up with a solution for it. So the short answer is no courage in Yenti Cojones then? <laughs> <laughs> for Solskjaer, that is, not for uh, De Gea. Well, I mean, I, I agree with you. It's, a, it's a, a very, very difficult situation for Solskjaer. Um, De Gea, you know, I think re- is relying still on the reputation he built uh, and one which he earned through um, brilliant performances season after season as Manchester's best player. He was voted best player at United years in a row. Um, certainly carried the team through some uh, stormy periods, that's for sure. Uh, but I think, you know, if you cut away some of the Roy Keane BS in terms of... Uh, it being um, outrage and uh, uh, sort of emotional, you get his point that Davide has not been at his best, uh, has been culpable in conceding many goals, uh, which in regular circumstances you would expect him to stop and save. And now Solskjaer is in a position where he has to make a decision about what's best for the team because... This is a goalkeeper who is now showing himself to be consistently unreliable. And they have a ready-made backup in Henderson, who is among the top five goalkeepers in the Premier League for saves made uh, over the last 12 months um, with Sheffield United, um, or certainly this last season. And even the United fans, Duncan, will look at that and say, yeah, De Gea's been brilliant for us, et cetera, et cetera. However, maybe it's time for a change and this guy's not going to cost us anything because look at the huge fee that, for instance, Chelsea paid for Kepa uh, from Athletic Babao. And he has not proved himself to be necessarily as reliable as they hoped he would be either. And yet there's a goalkeeper, young, English, ambitious, extremely motivated, who United have access to, all they've got to do is effectively say he's not coming back on loan to uh, Bramall Lane, he's coming back to Old Trafford. And even if in the interim he is challenging De for the number one spot, at least he's putting pressure on the Spanish international to perform better than he has been. Yeah, if you can get the player to accept that. And, and as you reported um, initially in Henderson, the problem is his contract runs out at, in 2023. Um, Manchester United wanted to tie him to a longer term contract and he's refusing to do that unless uh, the conditions suit him and the conditions that, won't, that do not suit him are to come in as backup. Um, he wants to be playing another full season of Premier League football. Speaking of defending in Manchester, uh, Manchester City had no problems in demolishing uh, Burnley 
on Monday evening in terms of their win at the Etihad. Uh, however, interesting that Burnley could only field 17 players instead of 19 uh, that they were allowed because of contract disputes. But possibly more interesting, Duncan, was uh, the fact that we continue uh, to get information regarding uh, City's pursuit of a new centre-half. They've now gone through uh, four different permutations, um, certainly in the, uh, in the last two weeks. Uh, John Stone seems to not be part of their plans at the moment. And we did report that uh, Caldo Koulibaly of Napoli, who is definitely available for sale, uh, has been on their radar and is edging closer to a deal to join City this summer. Any news in terms of that update, Duncan? Yeah, the, the news I have is that um, Napoli's coach, Gennaro Gattuso, has been told that Kulabai will definitely be sold this summer um, and a replacement centre-back is, is coming in. Um, Kulabai himself is open to that. Uh, he's ready for a change of environment um, and keen to move to the Premier League. Um, there's been talk of Liverpool as, uh, as the club that would take him from Napoli to Adam alongside Virgil van Dijk into what could be an extremely impressive defence. Information I have is that while Liverpool are in the market for a centre-back this summer, it's very much dependent on what they're able to do um, in other areas of the team. Um, they would like to uh, dispense with Dejan Lovren. If Lovren leaves, then they will bring in a new centre-back. Um, they have, as we know, an issue with backup in the left back position and um, they are thinking that uh, one potential solution for both areas would be to sign a, a left-footed centre-back who can also is also comfortable playing at left back and, and that individual to be the cover for Andy Robertson and, uh, and another option for them in the centre of defence. Um, their priority, um, I'm told, remains to add someone um, to their, their attack um, and they're prepared to put resource into that after failing um, to get Timo Werner after deciding not to um, exercise his release clause at RB Leipzig uh, despite Jurgen Klopp's um, extremely hard work to persuade Werner that, uh, that Liverpool was the right place to begin his career in the Premier League. Uh, so all of that points to Koulibaly um, who's a right-footed player um, and would be extremely expensive. Um, Napoli's asking price pre-COVID was 100 million euros. Um, they would be expected to come down, but I don't see the fee coming significantly down into the um, 60 million euro mark. Um, Napoli, the noises from Napoli is perhaps 80 million would do it at present. Obviously, all of these things are open to negotiation, but it's going to be a significant salary. It's going to be significant wages. And um, the word from people close to Koulibaly is he thinks there's a, a strong chance he will end up at Manchester City. Um, the, the noises and the efforts City have made so far, and obviously their um, greater need for a top centre-back, as we've 
talked about many times, the only um, centre-back option that, that Guardiola trusts at present is Americ Laporte. Um, they've spent this whole season short of quality at centre-back. Puts them in, uh, in Koulibaly, Koulibaly's mind as his more likely destination this summer. It's an interesting situation that City regards that they have spent extensively on their defence, but still don't appear to have settled on what's the best lineup. Um, uncertainty over Kyle Walker, uh, right back, um, as we know. Um, definitely um, doubts over who the best centre back pairing is. Left back, even, has not been settled. Weird for a club. Uh, and a manager who have spent so much money um, in recruitment. Um, but apart from that, Duncan, um, let's just remind uh, our listeners, and I'm sure they will remember, uh, that uh, you reported first Leroy Zane, uh, the interest from Bayern Munich, uh, the fact that he had told the club uh, that he would uh, not be renewing his contract despite several attempts to get him to enter into negotiations. We also reported that against Pep Guardiola's wishes, he attended a knee surgeon in Munich rather than Guardiola's preferred knee surgeon that he sent all of his players to in Barcelona. And now, of course, Guardiola has confirmed what you said, and that is that Zani will not sign a new contract, and therefore he believes he's played his last game for the club. How much closer is he to signing for Bayern Munich? And do we think that City will try to replace him? Because reports suggest that Phil Foden would be the replacement for Zani on the left. Well, Guardiola said that Foden can play on the left. Um, I, and I think this is one of uh, you know classic Guardiola press conference where he's asked the question, having admitted that Leroy Zani wants to leave and will not sign a new contract. Um, he has said he doesn't know when he'll leave. Um, obviously, Zani has managed to uh, get himself into a position where he has just one year left on contract. So he's now in that danger zone where he can leave for nothing uh, in a year's time. He can ag agree a deal to to join another club um, in January. And I, and that was part of our reporting um, back in May uh, 2019 that the only reason Manchester City were prepared to sell the player was they only had two years left in contract and they were scared they were going to get in a situation that they're in now where they wouldn't be able to um, grab a substantial transfer fee for Zani uh, and would be forced to, to take what was on, on offer for him or retain a player who had determined that he was going to leave in a year's time, who had problems with Guardiola before any of this happened. Um, it's not the easiest of individuals to manage and, and, and see what you can get out of them uh, during the season. The word from Germany is that they are trying to do the deal for about 40 million euros, which is um, hugely down on the, on the sort of 100 million euro plus fee we were talking about last summer. Um, and replacements, uh, I, I would be extremely surprised if Zani does leave, um, if Munich do manage to get that deal through at a price that suits them um, in this summer, if Manchester City went without replacing him. We've seen the damage that's been done to Manchester City's title challenge by not having Zani this season. Obviously, that was because of injury that he, he picked up in the uh, 
in the community shield at the start of the season when Guardiola played him against his his wishes. But his that absence of pace, um, which has been such an important weapon for breaking down um, the kind of super resilient defences and packed defences that Manchester City often have to play against, has been absent this season. And understandably, Manchester City want, if not a like-for-like like replacement, they want someone with that degree of pace and that ability to get in behind the back line and put balls into the box that their um, that their forwards and midfielders can convert in the way we we often see the best of Guardiola's teams doing. We we told you some time ago in the podcast that Adama Traore was um, a target for them, and there have been conversations with his um, representatives over um, a, a possible summer move. Uh, Wolves are open to that, but priced him very highly. Um, 150 million euros was the, the the figure they were putting on him at the time. Another option, and actually the big option for them last summer is Jean-Felix. Um, last summer, they tried very hard to sign Jean-Felix um, from Benfica. Their thinking was, if Sani leaves, then this is a you know, I, I, I really talented young forward who can fit in and, and do some of what Zani does off the left wing, but also give them alternatives all across the attack. Um, my understanding is that when they realised Zani was not going to leave um, in the summer, they made a, a, a second effort to secure uh, Jean-Felix before he joined Atletico on the basis that they would pay um, the uh, a substantial transfer fee for Felix, um, allow him to spend another season at Benfica, and then bring him to England in a year's time once the the Sani situation had um, resolved itself. Obviously, that wasn't able to um, happen because um, Atletico paid the full 127 million euros to secure Felix, and and they took him there. But I don't think you can entirely rule out the possibility that Manchester City might have another go for Felix um, in this market, um, simply because the, he has not bedded in as well at Atletico as people had hoped. He's not an ideal fit for Diego Simeone's um, football, hasn't proved to be that fit for his football. And um, I think there is the possibility that we're a substantial fee to be offered and we're talking a very substantial fee to be offered to Atletico for the player. They'd be open to selling him this summer. Whether City um, are capable of doing that alongside deals like Kulubai is a big question. Obviously, they don't know if they're going to have Champions League football at the moment. As we discussed in the last podcast, they've been handed the opportunity to put a lot more of Abu Dhabi's cash into the transfer market. Uh, by the relaxation of FFP rules. Um, the people who are working in the market and, and assessing where things are going to go, I think are still trying to work out just what the degree of spend is going to be from clubs like Manchester City this summer. And, and it is, all of this, I think, is fundamentally dependent on whether Project Restart works in full, whether we get through all these games without um, a problem that, that uh, results in football being stopped or results 
because we have problems in, in a much longer delay to get um, fans back in the stadium. Possible swap with Kingsley Coleman? Not something I've heard mentioned. The, what, what I'm hearing from the, the Bayern end is that uh, they want to get the, the transfer fee down as low as possible. Um, and uh, and they're prepared to put cash into the deal because they, they feel they have the player um, completely secured in terms of his desire to come to Bayern and to, to force that uh, that exit from Manchester City that we, we began talking about over a year ago. With one Letty's contract, that seems to be um, the most likely outcome of this particular situation. The most likely outcome of the Newcastle United takeover by uh, the Saudi Arabian um, Public Investment Fund uh, in conjunction with Amanda Stavely uh, and others uh, has been in doubt for many weeks now, Duncan, and we have continued to keep our listeners up to date with the very latest news. Interesting developments over the last 40 hours regarding the uh, Saudi Arabian government's uh, pledge that they will uh, fight piracy of the television broadcast rights, uh, which have been uh, the subject of complaints from the World Trade Organization uh, to the Premier League, as well as to individual Premier League clubs from Qatar. Uh, Do we know anything more regarding what the likely timing is? And indeed, what the outcome may be. Well, we're now over 10 weeks since um, the documents were submitted and, and the Premier League uh, approval process began. Um, talking to someone involved in that deal, he thinks that's the longest the Premier League has ever taken um, to make a decision on the matter. It's far longer than they expected. Um, they were, they were, their, their initial guidance was three to four weeks. Um, would be the the timescale required to go through the financial plans and documents and um, to answer questions Premier League had over over owners and ownership structure. Um, Clearly, that guidance proved to be incorrect. Um, As we've said many times, it's far more complicated than any other deal. There's more attention on this deal. Um, Trying to do it in the background of of COVID has... um, certainly brought more publicity to it and obviously given the Premier League major problems that they needed to deal with um, as a priority over deciding on this takeover deal. Um, Said last week that the indications coming from the Premier League were were that they were close to making a decision. Talking to someone involved in the bid today, he said they have had indications from uh, the lawyers and from Newcastle United, that is indeed the case, and they are hoping to get the decision very soon. They, they certainly don't understand why it should take um, any much longer, as they have dealt with all the questions, answered all the questions that have been put to them by from the Premier League via Newcastle United. Remember, the communication is not direct from the Premier League to the buyers; it goes through the um, the the member club. Um, so in their view, um, there shouldn't be any block on making the decision and they hope that it's a positive one. Um, I think you're right to highlight that action from Saudi Arabia, um, from the Saudi Arabian government, 
and from Saudi Arabia Football Federation saying that they would take action against piracy uh, and make moves to shut down websites that were involved in illegal streaming. Um, they have taken action to prevent BLQ set-top boxes operating in their country. Um, their argument is that, uh, that they're, they're showing willingness to um, deal with the issues that BN have had and uh, and that the Premier League have had with uh, with the actions of individuals in Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia's um, refusal up until now to even allow legal action to be taken against those bodies in their country. Um, cynics would say it's easy enough to um, say you're going to do something. It's easy enough to uh, take um, inter action in the in the short term. What matters is whether you will stick with that and and of course that will be um, part of the decision the Premier League have to make. They are under pressure um, and they I think the Premier League are well aware that if they give the no that is likely to be followed by legal action um, if not by PIF themselves um, then possibly by Mike Ashley who um, faces losing out on the 300 million pounds fee he has uh, agreed with PIF, PCP and the Rubin brothers for his football club. And although there's been a lot of talk that um, the American businessman Henry Morris is prepared to take over um, from uh, the Saudis if their the, the New, Newcastle takeover is rejected, um, certainly on the part of the, uh, the buying group, there is no concern that Morris is a, is a, is a real candidate to replace them. Um, the idea that he's going to put more money down on the table, the reports are of £350 million bid, um, they say is ridiculous. And uh, their information is that there has been no proof of funds um, from Morris's side. Um, yeah, if I was to sum up their, what they think about Morris when I question them, it's uh, I would say that they're supremely unconcerned. And in their view, there will not be a better offer to Mike Ashley if their deal is not approved by the Premier League, then Mike Ashley will end up um, on the wrong end of this financially. And therefore, uh, they think that um, Ashley will be pushing the Premier League um, to get this completed. But it's not down to the Saudis alone. It's not down to Mike Ashley alone. Uh, the Premier League have the final say on this. Four individuals on the Premier League board will... Um, will decide whether Newcastle United become the, the next club to become a nation-state club in football. As always, we will be reporting and keeping you ahead of everyone else with regards to news in the proposed takeover of Newcastle United. We are going to wrap up today's podcast with the very popular hero and villain. And uh, I'm going to go first, Duncan, and a change of... Uh, the way that we do things. I'm going to go for a hero first, uh, be simply because I've actually thought of someone who's, who deserves it more than anything else, which is unusual for me. Um, I'm going to go <laughs> for uh, the now Geordie legend, segueing from our last part of the pod, Big Joe Linton. Um, scores his first goal since last year, only second Premier League goal in a Newcastle win. Uh, Everyone in the team congratulated him. 
Uh, the only shame was he didn't have 52,000 Geordies in the stadium to do the same. He seems to be much loved uh, and much maligned in the same sentence. Um, but uh, the fact that he managed to get one and one with a goalkeeper in the first half uh, and then against Sheffield United and then, and then effectively fall over himself uh, before he managed to get the shot away. Uh, but brushed himself down, got himself back into the game and scored a, with a lovely touch uh, for the 3-0 win. So, um, Joe Linton, you are our hero of this week's podcast. Duncan, please give me your villains. Well, I'm glad you've chosen Joe Linton because that reminds me of um, an article I saw this week in The Guardian which uh, had a combination of subheads that I never thought I'd see in football reporting before. Um, it had talking about the, the Saudi Arabian um intervention and piracy. It had one subhead saying, pledge to eliminate practice and shut down 231 platforms from Saudi Arabia. And then the second subhead was Steve Bruce delighted with Joe Linton's first home goal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not your average football match report. <laughs> no, indeed. Indeed. It's not, not uh, and also, also not very catchy. Typical Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> I think they might have been short of space and trying to combine two big stories into one piece. Well, Joe's definitely a big story or a big unit, one of the two. <laughs> Go on then, villains. Villains of the week. Um, very easy this week, sadly. Um, but the Burnley supporters who decided to that the best response to the Black Live Matters um, campaign, which the Premier League, I think, has done such a effective um, and telling job, and the the, you know, the the sight of everyone in the stadium taking the knee, um, apart from Sadio Mane, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> before he just forgot, he just forgot, he just ran. Of course, of course, he forgot. But it shows his eagerness as a footballer. But that that sight of everyone taking the knee has been one of the most uh, telling moments of, uh, of the restart of the Premier League. But uh, those Burnley fans have decided that the response to that should be to be to fly um, a White Lives Matter banner over Manchester City Stadium yesterday. Um, where you saw the reaction from your club's own players. You saw the reaction from um, football watching public. You obviously know who you are and, uh, and the stupidity of what you've done. Absolutely correct. And um, when you start flying banners like that, um, it does indeed, if you look in the mirror, tell you that um, the stacks of chips are in your favour um, to begin with when you think that that's the right thing to do. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Congratulations also to Ben Mee, the Burnley captain, who uh, immediately after the game said that he was both ashamed and embarrassed by that action, as well as Burnley Football Club's response and the manager, Sean Dyche, uh, who all condemned that, uh, as we do here on the Transfer Window podcast. Now, you always like to be in debate with us, and we always like to be in debate with you. So please do so, and continue to do so on our social media channels, which are at Transfer Podcast, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We also, in a new and wonderfully... Um, Upwardly Mobile Development have a YouTube channel. Just get onto YouTube and search Transfer Window Podcast and you'll be able to get the pod there as well. 
If you want to continue with Duncan and I personally, which of course you know we do engage with you, we are not like other podcasts who simply put the pod out and uh, don't bother about what you think about it. We certainly do, and we like to debate with you. That's at Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ. That's all for today's uh, transfer window. Uh, we would like you to stay safe and be well until the next one later this week. Until then, thanks for listening.